Hello, welcome to Pole Pod with me, your host, Dolly Daggers, where I talk all things mindset with your pole idols. Some things just aren't feasible for my body, and that's okay. And that you can be a performer and a competitor and all the other cool things without them. You don't you don't need what you haven't got. Like it's it's fine to do what feels good for you, I think is the, the best bit of advice I would give. Today's episode is with the amazing Jojo Fox. We talk about UK PPC, Glow, being hot and vegan, how she continues to poll, teach, perform and do all the other things, still living with level four osteoarthritis. And I think if I learn anything from talking to her, it's just the power of acceptance and the power of accepting what your body can do. Enjoy this one. So I wanted to talk to you in particular because I have a student that I teach who deals with hypermobility, chronic pain, and because I feel like there's not much information out there or I haven't seen the the story from the side of someone suffering with disability or chronic pain. So that's why I wanted to interview you because, um, and other things, obviously that's not just the only (laughs) thing, (laughs) Uh, but I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about that and get like your side of your journey with chronic pain and mainly like what people misunderstand about chronic pain and disability in your opinion yeah um firstly thank you for having me I do I know I talk about this a little bit on my Instagram but like I feel like there are only so many times I can say the same thing and it feels a bit like you know rinse repeat sometimes and you can't ever get into things properly on Instagram through either like a caption or just like a story um so it's great for me to be able to kind of get a bit more into the like bones of it um I do think that people think a chronic, so I'm just going to say like, I feel like chronic pain and disability are two different things. So I wouldn't use those terms interchangeably. So for me, I have a disability that causes me chronic pain. Um, So some, yeah, I just wanted to like differentiate between those two, but I think people certainly in my experience think that, and I just want to preface everything by saying this is just my experience um people say to me oh I hope you get better and I'm like I have a degenerative disorder it's it's not gonna get better um so as time goes by I do find myself in more pain and that is really frustrating because it can be exactly the same thing I've done my entire life or or every time I go to pole but it will feel awful that one particular day um and yeah I just kind of wanted to to get into that and say that you know people if you have chronic pain or a disability like give yourself the space to feel like crap <laughs> like sometimes I'll come in to teach a beginner class and a uh, climb will feel like the worst thing in existence but I've done it every week multiple times a week for nearly nine years um and that can be difficult to deal with but I think the misunderstanding comes when people think it's going to get better. And I think when you say as a, as a person who doesn't have a, a disability or chronic pain, oh, I hope you get better, it can actually cut really deep. Because for me, it reminds me that, that that's not going to happen. Yeah, there are it's, you know, peaks and, and troughs, but 
I'm not going to get better. And I know that it's like a standard kind of British thing to be like, oh, feel better soon. But actually, when I'm on the receiving end, I'm like, oh, mate, like, and I don't ever say anything because I, I know that people have my best interest. But that one like flippant remark, I feel like can be a little bit negative when people don't really realise. Um, the other thing is, I think when people say that people with a chronic a chronic pain and disability are inspirational like I find that kind of obviously it's a beautiful thing to say I'm inspirational if someone has got a chronic condition and they're living with pain of course it's really good to have role models that you look up to and see that you know we can fight through but when someone who isn't going through that says, oh you're so inspirational I'm like well well what a fucking choice do I have you know either I do the thing that I want to do or I don't and it's a part of it that I'm in pain in the same way as it's part of their life that it's not in pain. Um, and I find that just a very interesting point, like to be called inspirational when, you know, my alternative is just to kind of wither in a corner and cry. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a misunderstanding about, like you were saying, that chronic pain and disability shouldn't be used like as the same thing. And I think that's really important that you point that out. And then also the fact that that it's not going away. Um, that's really heavy um, to deal with. How do you deal with that? I can't even imagine what that must feel like to know that it's it's never going to heal itself. Yeah, it's a difficult situation. I feel like... Um... <sighs> I don't know. I think a lot of the time I just try not to overthink it. I think if I thought about it 24 seven, I'd just be permanently miserable. Um, I just get on with my life and I get on with pole as best I can. And I try and give myself the time and space to do what feels good on that particular day. Like I was just saying, sometimes something really simple will feel awful. And in fact, a lot of the time for me, anything that's like a beginner spin where I'm pivoting, anything that's a climb or a leg squeeze can feel extremely painful. And it's kind of taken me a long time to give myself the, you know, the the space and, and kindness to say, actually, just because a fireman spin hurts doesn't mean that I'm not, not good. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's still valid. I can still do it if I need to when I teach, but it's okay for things that you wouldn't expect to feel awful to feel awful. Um, yeah, of course I do. I'd get upset about it and down about it. And sometimes I'll just take myself away. If that's, if that's feasible, obviously if I'm teaching, it's a whole other thing. But if, if I can, you know, at home, if I'm training, I'll take myself away. I'll have a, a cuddle with my dog or my cats or my husband or something and just have a chat. And sometimes just vocalizing that frustration um, kind of takes it away. And certainly there's a lot of people who I speak to online who I would kind of go to as well because my husband doesn't have what I have, but I know some people who do have similar experiences. So I can go to them and be like, oh my God, this is super frustrating because X, Y, Z. And that kind of community really helps me to, to get through. Um, if it isn't an option, if I'm teaching, then I now, I didn't used to do this, but I've kind of grown into a space where I feel confident enough in myself to say, look, I'm having a bad time today. My knees are really bad or whatever it is that's playing up. And they are very understanding. And 
will appreciate that if something doesn't look quite right or if for example a lot of the time in my warm-ups jogging on the spot is not a thing that I can really do easily without pain so I will just say look today I'm having a bad day I'll be doing things um, that you won't be doing and vice versa so I'll give them the verbal instruction without me actually having to demonstrate it um, I'm getting a lot better at that I never used to to be good at it but um, yeah I think I think ultimately it's just talking that that keeps me positive. You know, if if you keep everything all bottled up inside and like, are you? And I did used to, especially when I first started pole. Um, it it starts to eat away at you, and you feel like really isolated and like just terrible about yourself and your body. Yeah, frustration bottled up is not a good thing. Um, and I think it's really good that you're vocalizing that to your students um because you know like sometimes students just expect you to perform you know I think it's really important to almost you're sort of setting boundaries a little bit saying oh today you know my body's not feeling like like 100% and it's good to have some honesty I'm sure they appreciate that too and really like there's a lot you can do with verbal cues like you don't always have to demonstrate running on the spot for example you know like most people know how to run on the spot um so I've got here the frustration we talked a little bit about the frustration um and I feel like it can be a thing even if you put chronic pain and disabilities aside I feel like as pole dancers and athletes, we can get frustrated with our bodies. Um, where do you think that comes from? I think, of course, we all just want to be better and better and better. And I think especially as pole dancers, we are awful for always thinking, you know, there's bigger, there's better, there's more, there's more split, there's more back bend, there's more this, there's that and the other. And I think that leads to frustration whether or not you're dealing with a chronic condition um I definitely have got frustrated not even trying to you know level myself up and I think it's a really normal part of having a disability um it doesn't happen as much now but I've done a lot of work to kind of get to this point I think I'm now not forcing myself to do harder and harder things on the pole um because I know that I'm going to pay for it for three four five six seven days afterwards and in all honesty I would rather do what I do now well and not perfectly but as good as I can get it rather than trying to shoehorn myself into this box that I'm never good my body is never going to allow me to to fit into um and I think regardless of whether or not you've got a disability, there is something to be said for that. I mean, we're all different bodies. We're all different dimensions. We've all got different strengths and weaknesses. And I think accepting that, you know, yeah, there is, there might be a syllabus at the studio or there might be like your goal moves, but the reality is that some things might not be attainable. And yes, with practice and time, they probably could be, but it is absolutely okay to say that doesn't feel good to, to work towards that because of a body you know, dimension because of a preference, even if you just bloody hate Superman, that's totally fine to write it off. Um, and that that's cool. And equally, like, I think trying to remind yourself of, of what your body can do, like, especially like when I think back to how far I've come since I started pole, 
how much I'd progressed. And before I did pole, I did nothing, genuinely. I wasn't one of these people who did gymnastics as a child or dance as a child. I did nothing. I just sat down my entire life until I started pole. And I think, isn't that incredible? Like to have that perspective of how far I've come and to keep that in mind as like a bit of a buoyancy aid of your kind of frustration, I think is really good. Um, and equally, yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's okay to adapt things. If you're like hellbent on getting something, sometimes I would take something and go, okay, I'm not gonna manage the split, but maybe I can like bend a leg. Maybe I can do something that fits my body and kind of have it as a creative process rather than trying to to look at the Instagram perfection side of the thing I'm attempting. If that makes sense. It does, yeah. Um I do that a, a, a little bit. I adapt certain things. Sometimes certain moves won't fit with, well, I'll give you like an example that's quite random. So I'm using a balloon in um, a performance and I'm having it on a stick. Um, so I'm putting the stick in between my toes, um, which sounds super weird. <laughs> and um, I'm then, so like there was a move that's more impressive that, you know, uh, like an entry into a move that's more impressive but it doesn't work with my balloon on a stick idea so I was like I'm gonna scrap the more impressive move and I'm gonna do like the weirder like um easier version because it looks better there's sort of like that kind of thing yeah and um I think it's really important what you're saying about like listening to your body some moves maybe don't feel very good um maybe still working on them a little bit sometimes you know it, it's like technically not great like I've had that too where I'm doing something slightly wrong and then I just change it a bit and then it's fine but there are moves that just don't feel good and I just sort of avoid them um and then I maybe try them again and then I'm like oh yeah this this doesn't feel good <laughs> like I, I go back to them like oh no this still doesn't feel good so yeah our bodies are really important and it's a weird like balance like pushing yourself mm. to be better but then also listening to your body it's always for me I'm always like feeling like oh like how do I push myself but also listen to my body it's very confusing yeah um, you talked about the work that you've done to get to the point you're at now can you talk a little bit about what sort of work you mean I think more just in terms of like working on my mental health and being I wouldn't say at peace. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm at peace, but like getting to a point where I accept that it's okay to leave something behind or just to work on it once a week or twice a month or whatever the number is to progress rather than get, you know, getting really frustrated and being like, oh, I have to get this and just drilling things. I used to do that. And then I would like really pay for it. I mean, I would get, I would sometimes get the move, but I would sometimes not. So it wasn't even like a surefire way of progression. It was just kind of hoping for the best, I guess. But I think it's just, it's just being patient. I think in, in all of these things, like whether, you know, you're someone who's able-bodied enough to, to do that, it, you will still feel the effects of it. You know, there's no hiding the fact that DOMS can happen, injuries can happen. And I just think it's it's better to take the longer the longer road and and be more chill with your body. I always say team snail, like <laughs> I think that's a good way to be. Yeah, 
definitely. Um, I had just did a podcast on injury and there's that weird thing if not everyone is competing, but I don't know, even if you're like creating a performance or an Instagram post, there's the weird thing of, yeah, like drilling a trick lots and lots of times. At some point, I've definitely got better at, at that too, just sort of knowing when it's time to kind of like chill with the trick like just be like park that for a moment and then come back to it you know in a few weeks when things are less crazy when I'm less tired when it's not feeling so horrible um did you have um anyone helping you out with your mindset with your mental health um I don't know I do I do now I have um my therapist who I go to once a week but I wouldn't say that she's helps me with mindset when it comes to pole like that's more just the kind of overall mental well-being um I think it's just learning and growing and not (laughs) I sound terrible but not watching as much Instagram I rarely scroll through Instagram I don't look at explore page I don't fuck around with any of that because it just makes me feel bad and it doesn't matter how good quote I am there's always someone who is better, bigger, you know, more, whatever, whatever the more is, there is always someone. And I think removing that has been incredibly beneficial. A number of years ago, I unfollowed a, a whole load of people who are amazing. And I would still find them if I want inspiration now, but I unfollowed them because I was like, having this many people on my feed that are, you know, something that just makes me feel inadequate actually was kind of detrimental to my own mental well-being even though I thought they were amazing you know very inspirational things and and from that perspective but just from my own brain safety I would say I did a big unfollow a number of years ago and it's helped a lot yeah that's important I mean it's your um experience of social media so you're you know yeah. um I um have unfollowed some people but I also mute people who um yeah I feel like the mute button is good um just so that I guess it's a way so people can't take offense you know uh not you know I'm a people pleaser so if I unfollow someone like maybe I would want to actually unfollow them but muting them can be like a a way to do it that doesn't feel like they're going to be like ah why did you unfollow me kind of thing but um uh that can be good too um and I definitely feel like there are things on Instagram that I see and maybe I'm not really aware of it but like just like the falseness sometimes of the pole industry not really showing the reality of you know just someone stood looking at their abs in the mirror it's like okay like or like talking there's like some triggering things like talking about weight loss yeah talking about burning calories when there's Christmas coming up like there's lots of things where you're just like come on like I don't know I just don't want to see that it makes me like feel funny about my body too and um yeah it's completely your own prerogative to decide what you want to see right absolutely and I think if I could go back I would say to do that sooner rather than later and I think mute is great like I also mute people and sometimes it's because their content is like triggering for whatever that reason is and sometimes it's their narrative is triggering I don't really know how else to explain it but like the way someone presents themselves I think 
you know, in life, we don't get on with everyone. And I think it's totally reasonable to mute whoever makes you feel safe and good in your own online space. Like whatever that reason is, it doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, in your opinion, I'm going to keep saying in your opinion, because there's no <laughs> right or wrong answer for some of these questions. But um, how do you think the poll industry can be better at understanding and helping to give visibility to pollers with disability or pollers with chronic um, pain? So I um, I think that poll wear, com- poll wear companies in particular have a lot to answer for. Um, I absolutely seen an improvement of diversity since I started poll for sure, but I have yet to see someone openly advertise using a disabled person or someone with a mobility aid. Like I've, I don't think I've ever seen it. I was trying to think this morning, I was like, have I actually seen it? And I haven't, I know I haven't. Um, and I would really love for companies to start using disabled bodies in their marketing material because because we're here, we exist, and we we deserve to see similar bodies to us without without shame. Like to say it's cool if you you know have someone in a wheelchair, if you have someone with a, a stick, if you have someone with whatever their mobility aid is. Like I just I feel like if I knew a company did that. I'd be more likely to buy from them. And I know that I'm not alone in that either. It's kind of a, a patch of diversity that I think has been kind of just slid across and over by a lot of companies. In fact, all companies. Um, so that'd be the first one I'd say. I think hiring disabled people for showcases and guest performances would be awesome as well. Again, just because we're disabled doesn't mean that our performances are going to be any less worthy or amazing. You know, we all create within our remit and what makes us feel and look good um and I think I know a lot of people who are in a similar situation to me would appreciate performance more if they saw a fellow person with chronic pain or or disability on stage um and you know I would be honored to guest perform in any regard to kind of help embrace that I think I would really like that um again I think that we could do with as an industry letting go of the narrative that if people have been doing poll for xyz amount of time they should have achieved a b and c like I hate that I don't really understand why it matters like there's no race and I'm certain that like if there was less of that like dick measuring for want of a better term um that that the industry as a whole would attract more people whose bodies could benefit from poll in a way that they just wouldn't get from more traditional hobbies or fitness avenues and I think it's such a shame that like there is that and I see it within within my studio when I have to and I do take people down a step and just say look you know just because you've been doing pole X number of time it doesn't matter like everyone's baseline is different everyone's body is different everyone's like preferences are different the amount of classes you can take are different it doesn't matter I could have been doing pole 10 years and gone to one pole class a week but I could have been doing pole for 10 years and smashed it 12 hours a day like it doesn't there's no correlation for time and achievement. Um, so that's definitely another thing that I would say would be good. My brain is like that, to be fair. Like I've been doing poll for this long. I need to be doing this, this and this. But that was actually, for me, that was more when I was doing group classes and there was a certain instructor who was sort of, that was the narrative and you had to achieve this move in order to be put in the intermediate to advanced class. Um and it was very much like that. And and she was always comparing people, uh, students up against each other. And, you know, there was that kind of weirdness. And um, 
yeah that as you know that's that's her stuff you know uh that's what I realize now that when when instructors are super critical or judgmental or bringing their own stuff into the class you know I I definitely am like that okay that's your stuff like I need to have my own thing with Paul and I don't do well with with the comparison thing and people being overly critical I'm much better with what I've noticed now anyways after so many years I'm much better with people who are more compassionate and kinder and um even like instructors that kind of do like little jokes that are meant to be funny um I don't do well with that either and it's not because I'm overly sensitive I just realize that they're putting me down yeah so I think it's it's all of that um I'm not sure where that all came from what are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> oh the narrative that if you've done pole for a certain amount of time you should be able to get xyz move yeah yeah there's there's a lot of narratives in in pole and from certain instructors that um are questionable i wanted to talk a little bit about ukppc i don't know anything about the backstory of ukppc so I'm just going to keep it really simple and to the point. It's not financially viable. Um, the event before I took it on was running at a loss in like almost tens of thousands of pounds per year. And the pole industry as a whole cannot afford to support the cost of that competition. Um, I'm not willing to get myself into debt personally for a pole competition because it's just a big no from me. And I think the trouble that I found was I tried to um, pitch it for sponsorship and entry in a financial form that, that made it viable and everyone wasn't receptive. There was not one person, I think, no, I tell a lie. I won't say everyone, that, that's a bit harsh. There was a few people that understood and were supportive. And there were a few people who bought sponsorship and there were a few people that were supportive, but at the same time couldn't afford it. And then there were a majority of people who were like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, that's so expensive. Won't be supporting them anymore. And it's like this weird thing of, well, hang on. This competition is a big event for the year and has been long running. And I would like to carry it on. But without the support of people, without sponsorship, it just couldn't run. Um, and it just got to a point where I thought there was there's a tipping point. So past a certain point there was a big financial outlay for me and I got to, I said to my husband like if it gets to this point and it's not looking the projection like we're gonna break even then I'm gonna cancel it because I've got to protect my peace and my financial stability and I think people forget that I think it's easy to to look at a, a brand and say oh it's a big pole event this happened every year but like it's 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 run by one person and I think it's a tricky balance but I, I'm definitely working on finding an alternative, but the problem is that the 360 degree stage is so iconic that I don't want to get rid of it, but it's a catch 22 because if I don't get rid of it, it's so expensive to put on, um, that I'm kind of a bit like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So I kind of just put it on hold until either the cost of everything comes down. I find an alternative in terms of venue staging, um, which is which might end up being an in-between. I don't know. But I really want to keep the 360 stage because I just think it was like 
such an iconic statement and I love it. And I think it would be an insult to the past organizers of UK PPC to remove that from it, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I would, I've always wanted to perform on that stage. Um, why is it so expensive? Put, like I don't know and I've never run a competition before so I don't understand like I, I get like venue hire you know the polls putting them up and like the staff and in all in all honesty I think with UK PPC the particular venue that it was at was just extortionate so it's like an international event space so you're looking at 10 grand before you've even done anything before you've got any chairs before you've got any people in, before you've got any stores, before you've got any polls, before you've done anything. And that is a hell of a lot of money. And I think, you know, no one wants to say outright how much their comp costs, but UK PPC, that baseline figure was like, okay, that's a bare minimum needed just to set up on the day and not to have anything extra. And that's not with the polls cost on top. That's not, that's literally the staging and the venue hire. So yeah, it's, just so extortionate that I was like, I think I can make this work, but only if all the sponsors and everyone gets on board. And it just didn't happen. And it was heartbreaking, I'll be honest. Like, I I was really upset. I mean, I think I, you know, I it was a risk to take it on because I knew that it would work or it wouldn't. <laughs> and it was a 50-50 gamble, but you know, I did gamble and sometimes it doesn't pay off and, and it kind of, it sucks but it is what it is and until I find a new venue that's willing to well not willing to but is cheaper then that UK PPC is just on pause <laughs> mm. yeah because the 360 stage is really cool is I are there any other competitions that do that I'm not sure not really not to my knowledge no but maybe that's why <laughs> yeah yeah um it's uh it's um must be a lot of stress to make that decision um yeah. did you feel like people supported you on that yeah I did I think the people who were kind of more more behind the scenes who knew about it already understood and were like okay fair enough like it is a big undertaking I I don't, I don't know if if anyone didn't agree with it they didn't come forward and say but in all honesty, I feel like if you were in my shoes, you would have done exactly the same thing. There is no way that anyone can be expected to put on an event for an industry and get into personal debt because of that. And anyone who doesn't respect that, you know, does does not have my respect, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's all very well to criticise someone, but if you're not actually making the choice or yeah. if you're not actually looking at the numbers, you know, it's... You know, um, it, it was really hard. And I remember being like so torn between, you know, there is always that ego, isn't there? That's like, but you can't be the person that cancelled UK PPC. And then there's the the reasonable figure that's like, come on, you cannot, it, it's not going to work. Like the, and there was a real pull between the two. And I, did, I, I was really upset. There were a lot of times where I, I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I feel completely torn, but it was so, there was just, there was no way I could run it. I mean, what else can I do? I think I'm going to look into things like the Arts Council and see if there will be some support in that direction. Um, but 
yeah it was it was horrible <laughs> having to having to make that call and I did I did get a lot of support from from the people who mattered they absolutely understood and supported me which was really lovely that's good that's really good um can you talk a little bit about glow that's a yep. completely different competition um and sort of how you came up with the concept of this competition how it's different to other competitions out there yeah so basically what I did after I cancelled UK PPC I kind of sat and licked my wounds for a while and then I was like but I can still do something here there there is a real opportunity for like change and progression within the industry when it comes to comps so I thought about what made me apply to competitions what my pet peeves were what I thought was missing and then I kind of just wrote it down and then I just did a big assemble of my friends who are in the industry and I said look what do you think is missing? What makes you apply for comps? What, you know, what are your pet peeves about comps? And then I just compiled everything and pretty much we were all on the same page. Um, and it just kind of all went from there. And it was a lot of deep diving into things and a lot of like niggly things that initially you wouldn't really think of. But actually, I mean, for example, in our first timer category, you know, we're gonna we're gonna let them come in early. We've got a specific liaison person who is just there to support their experience and time because it's it's stressful and it's scary. And you know, the first time I did a comp, I got no support really at all. And I remember just being there like, oh my God, what have I done? And I really wanted to kind of have that facilitated amongst lots of other things, but it was just what I thought was missing and writing an enormous document after that, which is our massive handbook, which kind of brings that all together and then seeing how I could facilitate that moving forward. Um, but it was great. It was good. It was good to bring people together and to ask their honest opinion as well, because I think it's it's the same as anything. You know, you can't really, and this is no shade on any organizers, but you can't publicly be seen to be criticizing, I don't think. Um, it's it's unfair and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that organizers are doing it wrong it just means that there's something that they haven't thought of um so I just I, th I thought it was good to get people together and to have a frank chat not in the public domain about what they'd like to see um and for them to feel safe doing so and I got people who are long established in the industry I got people who have been in the industry a year so you know it was a real broad spectrum of people that came together to to give their thoughts and it, it you know I'm not going to take full credit for GLOW because it, it wasn't all me it was a group effort and I'm just the person who's kind of the glue between everything um so can you talk a little bit about what people said <laughs> even if it's just like because I'm just interested in what um what's yeah I'm just interested in what people might have brought up even if you can just remember like a couple of things yeah, so one of the main things that came up, and this was by more than one person, was um, if people are a stripper being forced into pro or like expert or elite categories, when quite honestly, in their own words, uh, pole has absolutely no to minimal place in a strip club. Um, and, and it was a lot of people feeling like mis mistreated and misplaced and like misjudged. Um, so I really wanted to to bring that in and to say your strip club experience shouldn't be a reflection on your pole competition career if you're only, you know, doing lap dances, if you're only doing a freestyle that's kind of 
you know, neither here nor there. That doesn't mean you're a, a pro. That just means that's your job. And I think separating that out was really important for me and for the people that kind of were on my panel and to to bring it forward in a way that means that people can apply at their actual level. You know, it might be that their job is is in the club and then they're at a beginner level of pole. So absolutely, it was a no-brainer for me. You know, you really want to bring people out of their their job and bring it to what 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 their pole level is and what their pole performance level is of choreographed pieces as well. That was another thing that that we kind of dug into a little bit was like, okay, cool. So you perform freestyle. You don't ever choreograph things. You're not ever working on things in that regard. And that to me is a whole different ball game to, I do high level choreographed pieces night in, night out at a cabaret event. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there is a distinct difference. And I think I just wanted to, to take that, but that that's one of the things. Um, the other things, there's so many, I could ramble about this for ages. Go, go. <laughs> but <laughs> I think the other thing is making sure that everything is taken into account from the beginning in terms of people's bodies. So day zero, you've put your video entry in, there's a box that says, do you have any considerations you'd like us to take into account for your body? Whether it's you're autistic and you can't make eye contact, whether it's, um, um, you're dyspraxic and it affects you in this way so we'll take that into account whether it's um whatever whatever the thing is we're, we will take it into account as long as it's a genuine thing that that should be taken into account and then from that making sure that when people are in our venue which I've specifically chosen to be as accessible as possible um that, that that's supported and it's not an afterthought like it shouldn't be an afterthought if you're in the competition you've you're you know, competing in a competition makes the competition. It's not my competition, it's the competitor's competition. So they are front and center of every decision that I make. And that I just feel like has been kind of missing or is like an afterthought of like, ah, the beautiful venue. But yeah, but what about, where are they gonna go if they're overwhelmed and they want to take five? Where are they, where does the venue stand on, um, on inclusivity? on accessibility, on having a zero tolerance to any forms of like, uh, not abuse in the deepest sense, but you know, does that make sense? Like making sure that everything is reflected in every decision that I make. And that really was like, I don't know, what what I wanted to keep in focus the whole time was the the people competing and how they and how they would feel rather than, oh, it's a beautiful venue. <laughs> yeah no I understand yeah and uh in your handbook I remember looking at it um you have a quite specific way of choosing your level and then choosing your tricks yeah so and that's different you know yeah that is different yeah it's a little bit complicated so I'll try and explain it so basically we have our categories which are loosely based on your experience level as a performer um and then within that not all of the categories have this but there's a technical level so as a first timer that's our category for first time performers you could be a first timer and perform as a beginner you could be a first timer and perform at elite level because again 
it makes no sense to me for to say first timer and then for someone who's you know been doing pole a long enough time to to have a really number of advanced tricks in their skill set to go well I I can't do that category because then it means I can't do a handspring it can't I means I can't do a Janeiro um but then you've got so it's like an overarching category name and then your technical level and everything is set and weighted so that you're not judged against someone who's doing a step around some versus someone who's doing a devil's point shuffle you've got your mark which is relative to you and and your piece and then that is kind of your your overall mark if that makes sense yeah no it makes sense you're not being compared to someone who it really is like a first timer who's been doing pole for a year and then you have been doing pole for seven years I understand yeah 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 I understand it's cool I, I really like that um and I wanted to ask you what's the hardest thing about running a pole competition in your opinion <laughs> I've already touched on this I think I think I found the hardest thing um is is budgeting and I wish there was loads of money in running a comp, but there just isn't. Like there is so little money available relative to everything that costs a, a great deal. Um, and in terms of like the most anxiety inducing part for me was approaching potential judges. So I I took um, my judging selection from people who had been chosen for the UK PPC run. So everyone had applied anonymously um, and then based on the results of the anonymous judging applications, I kind of got in touch and said, look, you were chosen for UK PBC. Would you be interested? Um, and not if that bit wasn't hard, that was great. Like everyone was really on board. But the problem that I find is um, budgeting for judges. Now, it's just difficult because I appreciate people have many years of experience and knowledge and I personally want to pay them as much as I can you know I would throw all my money at judges if I had if I had it but the budget and the numbers just just aren't there this not this year anyway so I found it so hard because I was really torn between this I want to push the industry up I've done judging that's taken me a full two days of my life and been completely unpaid. And I know that that tends to be the baseline for the industry is to be unpaid as a judge. And it sucks. No one should be unpaid. And I feel really passionate about this. But <laughs> the trick is balancing that feeling with the budget that I have. And I really don't want to offend anyone. And, you know, it was really hard because I'm I am also a people pleaser and I don't I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. But at the same time, there's only so much money in the pot that I can offer. And at this point, a lot of it is projected. So it, it's it's such a, a difficult task to manage because you're trying to appreciate and financially reward people for their experience and skills and time, but also balance money, which is just, I just hate it. <laughs> I just hate it. I hate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds really tough. Yeah. Because it kind of like the people pleasing side of it and then running a business don't like as from my experience anyways, don't necessarily go hand in hand. So you have to um like I have issues in my business um teaching kids just getting people to actually pay me and pay me enough and even like raising my 
prices can make me feel uneasy and uncomfortable like anything like that um it's just really tough talking about money in general can be really tough so yeah I, I completely empathize with with you with that so we talked a little bit about how your mindset has changed but I definitely wanted to talk a little bit about your journey with mental health and how that's changed over time my mental health has been rocky over the years you know I have experienced long periods of depression and anxiety, especially throughout my teens and my early 20s, um, and had like further issues with, within that that are kind of more serious that I don't really want to trigger anyone with, but you know, say no more. Um, I've definitely been through phases where like I felt really dissociated as well. And just like life was happening to me rather than, you know, me being present in it. But I definitely reached a point in my late 20s where I just decided that my life was mine and I was like you know it's mine to drive it in whatever way I decide and to engineer it as to the way that I want it not what anyone else expects you know I really like the analogy of like a bus driver this sounds so like play school but like I just really remember vividly being like oh I'm the bus driver (laughs) like my life is the bus and I can take on passengers and I can chuck them off because I'm the bus driver. I decide the route. I decide, you know, the the fuel that goes in. I decide how many miles a day I cover. And I just remember that being a really empowering kind of analogy to have. I think within the time that I've been doing pole as well, like I've definitely been up and down, but I a few years ago, I definitely had a big downturn in my mental health. Um, my husband was cancelled because of some false allegations and I never really spoken about this because it's it's just really painful and I do mean cancellation in the in the same sense as like celebrity cancellation so from that I you know I think we speak about people being cancelled but we don't speak about how it affects their loved ones so my the impact on me was I lost everything I lost my pole studio, I lost my client base, I lost my job at a local university where I taught pole, so that was like my main income. My studio got graffitied on and it got broken into and I couldn't even go out in my local area because I just get shouted at and harassed. And worst of all really was that some people in the pole industry changed how they viewed me without knowing anything about anything or reaching out to ask me and I think that that kind of hurts a lot because I think now when I'm when I'm doing anything like glow or just being present online I do have that in the back of my mind and I'm like oh do people still hold on to to a view that is completely false um we did we did relocate but honestly it was the best thing I've ever done Like I'm far more resilient I'm far more successful and driven um but you know it's not without its ramifications still I've, I've dealt with Um, someone here who's a local pole instructor who harassed me um, and it's only recently just gone through the court and everything and um, you know it it has taken its toll a little bit but because of everything I've gone through the first thing I did was go okay well I'll just go to the police then like it wasn't like a major thing if that makes sense and I think all of these hard difficult things I've, I've gone through have kind of helped me to be more resilient and to be stronger and to, you know, help people 
not go through that because I always have that in my head of like when I'm making a decision how is the other person going to feel how would my actions you know create a better safer space for other people um and especially in the case of the the pole instructor that was harassing me I know now that they are also doing the same thing to other people in the industry and um it's quite it's serious and everyone just laughs it off and I'm like no go to the police because she's got a record now it's official you know and you can take that as far as you need to and I don't mind being that strength and being that kind of I don't want to say role model, but you get what I mean. Like you, you model your behavior on how others behave sometimes and being that kind of person who's gone, no, that's not acceptable. That's completely fine. It's very hard to do. A lot of people just um, wouldn't feel comfortable to do that. So that's, it's really, um, imp- I think it's a really important step to make change happen is to actually properly stand up for yourself. Yeah, I think so. And I think for me, it was, you know, I've sat in silence for so long after being through that cancellation and just getting through and, you know, going to therapy and dealing with all the things. But when it happened, I was like, are you kidding? I was like, this is a piss take. There is no way I'm letting this happen. And I'm publicly, if I need to, going to stand up and say so. And I did. I got to the point where it was going to go to court. I went to court. I stood in the the little box and I felt like I was on TV and it was terrifying. And then um, she settled out of court. So I didn't have to. But I thought, do you know what? I'm so glad that I've done this because, you know, even if a few years ago, I wouldn't have. And I think if it's if it's taught her one thing, it's you you can't get away with treating people like dirt forever. And. I don't, I'd like to think it's had an impact on other people in that she's modified her behavior, but I I actually. Yeah, some people, the problem is, is that some people don't learn because they're not willing to listen and they're not really willing to grow. And I think the best thing that we can do is just be the opposite of that and try and always be learning, always be changing, always be growing and just like, then the gap between us and them becomes massive. Um, but Yeah. Um, are you able to talk about what, um, if you, if you don't want to talk about that, that's fine. I know it might be triggering, but you were able to talk about sort of what happened with, with her, what she did. Yeah. So effectively I just got to a point where I was performing and hired to perform at festivals and stuff, which is obviously like a massive deal for me. Um, and every time I was just about to perform, I would get a really abusive message on online. And it wasn't like an anonymous message. It was from her, like directly. And it was saying all sorts of like nasty things, calling me names, calling me this and the other and saying, she, there was even one thing, like there were, there were all baseless attacks. There was one thing that was about a photographer and how I'd stolen her photographer but I've been a model since I was 18 and he applied for my casting call on a modeling site. And I was like, okay, one, this is completely untrue. Two, all of these things are like awful. And also she was threatening to out me as to why I'd relocated. So it's awful. Imagine that I, cause I'd, I was, I used to be friends with her and I'd kind of trusted her. And to then have that weaponized against you, I was like, this is absolutely awful. Like I cannot imagine 
that even if I then didn't get on with the person or whatever the reason, I'd just keep my mouth shut because it's not it's it's not someone else's place to share your your private happenings. Um, so yeah, after that, I just I reported it to the police every single time it happened, and after a certain number, it basically triggers a harassment case. Um, so if if there is anyone listening who's having this, if someone direct message messages you, and it's you can prove it's them. So if it's their name, um, if it's from a, an email address that's that's undoubtedly them, if they do two cases of anything that makes you feel threatened. And that's as ambivalent as it sounds. If you feel threatened or unsafe, report it to the police because that is harassment and they can do something about it. Um, but yeah, every time it would be when I was about to do a festival performance and I was like, come on, like I've got enough going on. Like I'm already anxious about performing. Yeah. So maybe she she noticed that maybe you would be feeling anxious at that time and then she just decided that that would take you down a notch or something. There are some little um, low, <laughs> low life people still there, still doing their their stuff. You know, um, uh, I don't know if it's worth even, um, like I don't know. You probably don't want to like name and shame people. That's a, like that's different. But I definitely feel like it's worth like protecting yourself, like ha- as you were saying, and um, yeah, not putting up with with other people's bullshit because life is hard enough you know don't need someone trying to take you down a notch the whole time you know um we're trying to do difficult things just get through the day sometimes can feel difficult for some people you know and then if someone's sending you abuse it's horrible it's awful I think the the hardest thing for me was that I'm not the kind of person to name and shame especially having gone through everything that my husband went through so for me there was a long period of time and it took about I don't know a year and a half or two years for it to all kind of go through court and the police and everything but the whole time I I have students that still go to their classes I have um people that I know that you know go regularly but I kind of made a pact with myself that you know it's not my style to be like hey, everyone, it's this person. Oh my God, never support her, never go there. Because I still believe, despite the fact how she treated me, you probably can learn something from her. And everyone has that choice to make. And I didn't want to influence anyone's choices in where they decided to learn pole. The fact of the matter is, especially where I am, there's minimal choice. So everyone, you know, it was really hard because I was seeing people going and kind of supporting their decision to to studio share is that the right term I don't know to like go to as many different people as possible but whilst at the same time knowing that this person has actively kind of gunning against me and it was quite a um a difficult kind of turbulent time in my brain to kind of process that but but you have to think like the other person who's sending that energy to you who's like that kind of hate and jealousy and sending you all that that's like what kind of mental state can they be in and that's the win I think is just knowing like I am not them and if they have to try and um I'll talk to you a little bit about something that happened to me that's it's not really similar because it wasn't really harassment but um I started teaching at a studio that 
opened really close to the studio that I left. Um, and a lot of people um, in who were instructors in the original studio uh, started writing stuff online, like um, complaining about it. And then we got this um, weird message from like an anonymous person saying like, oh, who are your instructors? And then, oh, they don't seem very experienced, this kind of thing. So that was obviously one of the instructors from where I originally started poll. Um, and there's been other things where I'm just like, really? Like, are we in school still? Like, I just feel like you're just like, how are you? How are you like so worried about me? Like, how are you putting all this energy? Like, can you not focus on your own stuff? Like, I don't think about other people. I don't, I don't look at them and go like, oh, I'm, I'm going to send you all these negative vibes. I'm just like, I don't care. Like if you're, if you're caring about someone else that much, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I don't understand it either. Like I just stay in my own lane and do my own thing and hope for the best. I've got to be honest, I don't have the time. If nothing else, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Like, And I don't have the inclination. I don't care. Like you said, it, I mean it with all the love in the world. Like I will support people, but I, I don't care what people are doing with their own their own journey and their own life. Everyone has their own path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just good to recognize that you're on a different level. And I think Michelle Obama says something like, um, when they go low, we go high. Yes, I love that. That's kind of what I kept in my head as well, because I was like, I'm doing the best I can whilst keeping myself at like a, a different a different energy level, like you said. So, yeah. That's good. Um, what would you say to your baby polar self? the person who started pole maybe a year in or at times when you were feeling low? I think, to be honest, like my early pole journey was quite good. I think my knees were not as advanced as they are now. So it definitely wasn't as painful. And I, I think naturally without realizing, I've always been quite strong. Like I didn't really realize that I was strong. Um, so it, it was more, I think, just doubling down on the do things on both sides. <laughs> I never had instructors that really made me. And I kind of wish I had because now, now I'm teaching full time, like for the last few years, I've done everything where possible on both sides when I've demonstrated to my students because I'm trying to, I'm trying to catch myself up a little bit, you know, even those beginner spins and things have been a challenge for me to learn on my non-dominant side um, and also on a very practical level like I have a noticeable difference in my muscle size on my dominant side to my non-dominant side and that's even with me trying to not just smash it on one side <laughs> so I definitely say that and I think also to say that like some things just aren't feasible for my body and that's okay and that you can be a performer and a competitor and all the other cool things without them. You don't you don't need what you haven't got. Like it's it's fine to do what feels good for you, I think is the the best bit of advice I would give. Do you have like a gratitude practice or like a meditation practice or a anything practice that helps you stay grounded and feel good? I don't know. I do you know what? I used to use an app called Happy Feed. 
and it's um every day you get like a prompt and it makes you write down three I think it's three things that you're grateful for and you can take a picture and like that's really wholesome to go back to but I did find that as I got more and more like practiced at it that I didn't I didn't need it like I don't need that prompt like I went to a, a Friendsgiving Thanksgiving do the other day and everyone was really struggling to like find a thing to give gratitude to and I was like they're like how long have you got <laughs> I feel like I just take things and I'm so grateful for everything like I I've been through so much trauma now that I'm like I only really tend to see the positives of course I have down days but on any given day I will be able to say what I'm grateful for and like check in and just I think I'm quite mindful in that way and I think um definitely having therapy helps that like even though I'm not I always say this to my therapist I'm like I'm not in a big crisis so it's not like urgent but I think having a therapist is incredibly like helpful just just if not to reflect on your week and to say wow like it felt good to do xyz like this felt really good and then to deep dive into why and to like you know I think there's this preconceived idea that therapy is always oh I've been going through this awful time but actually it can be the opposite you know it can be how can I lean into these positive things that are happening to me and make sure they happen again? And that's kind of what I, I like to do when I go to therapy. I must be the most positive person she has. <laughs> yeah, that's good though. Like there's nothing, you deserve that. You know, if you've been through a whole load of shit, you deserve a positive time and you've like, it's good to work through stuff that's difficult, but also good to just work through even like day-to-day stuff or like, goals or like some things can just be a little bit uncomfortable that are not really a big deal that like just to have someone to work through that with rather than um like you're married like me and just to always lean on my husband when he has like a lot of things going on can feel like a bit I don't know like obviously that's part of marriage but it's nice to have someone else with a different perspective and then you're not necessarily like yeah just always getting one person's piece of advice about something um so I wanted to ask you what people get wrong about you I don't do you know what I'm blissfully unaware of most things but if I had if I had to say I would say that some people might think I'm rude um I am incredibly blunt despite the fact that I like to try and people please and I, I, I'm just a bit autistic. Like there's no, there's no real way around it. And I've been told my whole life that I'm rude um, without even realizing. So I think some people might say that I'm rude, but you know, spicy brain is spicy. So I can't really do much about that. <laughs> I try, I try and think before I speak, but sometimes it just comes out and then I'm like, God, I didn't mean it like that. Or like my intonation was off or like, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I would never have thought that from, I mean, obviously talking to you now, like I would never, um, never have thought that that would be a thing people would think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I may, maybe I've just still got hang ups from when I was younger and didn't manage to like speak as well as I do now. I don't know, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I don't know what else people get wrong about me. I just, I don't really care. Like going back to that previous thing, like people can think what they like. And if it's negative, most of the time people don't have the balls to tell you to your face anyway. So 
they can keep that that's on them <laughs> and what are your goals for 2024 i think i'm gonna try and take a step back from physical teaching um and to focus on expanding my studio so at the minute i'm doing like four or five hours of admin a day and then i'm going and teaching and I know that lots of people manage to somehow survive in a full-time job and teach in the evenings, but I'm not up for it. Um, so I would like to try and expand my studio and work on the behind the scenes stuff more and try and grow more amazing instructors, I guess. Um, for me personally, I'm competing in PDSM and the Authentics. Um, so I wanna embrace that and just present my kind of new new vibe in the best way I can so I've I've kind of changed my style of pole like I used to be quite trick heavy and I just found myself I just felt like I was killing myself you know I had ongoing injuries had a lot of things I felt like I was battling my body and I did a a workshop earlier on this year with Gemma Rose I did a striptease workshop and honestly it's changed my life like it's completely changed how I feel about my body has completely changed how I feel about pole. And it's amazing because I don't, I don't remember how long it was. It was over too fast, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. But like that workshop single-handedly changed how I felt about my journey. And it gave me the space to say, it's okay. It's okay to let go of like drilling fungi prep forever. It's okay to let go of doing a Phoenix every, every day, even though it hurts your knees. And it's okay to, to dance in a way that, that, feels good and is not physically as much pressure I mean I say physically I mean strength wise I know what you mean yeah because tricks are something else aren't they really um yeah it just I, I think that's really cool that you're you're trying not trying something new but you know you've, your journey is going that way it's like evolving into that thing that's cool yeah I I mean I'm not a natural dancer I'm not you know I haven't done dance as a kid I've not really I have done dance workshops and stuff but I would say certainly the last year I've really tried to focus more on technique of my dance technique rather than tricks and I just feel so much more at home in my body like I feel like these things are now coming naturally probably because what I had already in here the ingredients were in here and in here but it's just having someone help me unlock those things to to stick them together and also I really love dancing sexy style like proper stripper style I love and I think I've always shied away from it just because I didn't feel like I had the authority to do that and I I feel like as I've grown I've kind of come to the the realization that no, it's okay. Like I can dance in whatever way feels good for me and my body. And that shouldn't be offensive. You know, I, I'm supporting everyone in the best way I can in every way that I can. And I want to start to honor the style that I now want to, want to dance in and I want to grow in. Um, helps me listen to my body more, I think. And then what else have I got? Oh, I want to go on holiday. <laughs> I haven't had a holiday since 2018. Oh, wow. You must be tired. Yeah, I've had a couple of like weekends away, but like I haven't been abroad and I used to travel a lot in my early 20s, mid 20s. And I just feel like I, I want to see some places. I want to go to some places. Um, and Italy. 
Italy. I, I know. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, I missed out. Italy. <laughs> I saw your free boat. Yeah. No, but um, we'll put more dates in the retreat. Um, I just started small and I just put the dates up so that it actually happens. And then I started just with like a small group of people I already know. Um, and then we, you know, it seems like it's a viable business. So we'll then put more dates up. And yes. yeah. Uh, that was just like a leap of faith, really, just being like, well, I'll just put the thing together and put the retreat together and just see if anyone books it. And then if no yeah, one does, it doesn't really matter, like that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, you should come. Um, I mean, I'm I'm going to be there from August next year. So it's going to be a, a big change for me leaving London. And we currently pay extortionate rent and basically I'm just working to pay my landlord the whole time and my bills we just like sort of you know we want we want a life where I actually see my husband and actually spend time with him at the moment it's you know we don't see each other at all and it's hard you know relationships are hard if you don't have time to spend with each other they can kind of deteriorate and go down the toilet a bit yeah I I think it's it's difficult isn't it because I mean it's similar similar for us like I I'm at home during the day working and doing admin and my husband is at work and then he's at home in the evening where I'm out teaching pole. So, you know, we've had to carve a couple of nights a week where I just say, I don't teach. <laughs> These are my days off. And I have an evening or two a week where I don't teach. I have instructors in because otherwise, yeah, it, it was getting to that point for us as well. And I was like, something's got to change. Like, like you said, it's, it's difficult when you don't see each other. Yeah. And the cost of living's crazy yeah it's a lot of stress for everyone isn't it yeah, um, yeah oh you know what it's right behind you <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about hot and vegan yeah because um I've uh, interviewed a few people I interviewed Felicity Bambidol uh Felicity Logan and I never asked her about her being vegan and I was just like fuck's sake what is wrong with me being a vegan myself and being someone who I've been plant-based for a really long time, eight, I don't know. I don't want to say eight years, so I feel like it's probably longer than that. Um, so talk to me a bit about the sign behind you, hot and vegan. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been vegan It's such a long time. I can't remember. It's either 13 or, 13 or 14 years. Um, but when I was a kid, so I remember quite vividly I think I was like six or seven and I, I realized what meat was and I immediately was like I'm not eating that you're joking so I remember and I didn't know any vegetarians there were no vegetarians in my family at all so I just went to my parents and I was like I don't eat animals anymore and they were like you're six like shut up you <laughs> you're eating it but I just would not eat it like I would just leave it on my plate push it to one side I remember quite vividly even like hamstering it into my cheeks and then like being like I need the toilet and then like running to the toilet and spitting it out because I this was like the 90s so I was made to sit at my table and eat my dinner as long as it took so um, yeah when I was that 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 age I was like I don't eat I don't need meat anymore so I, I kind of it was a it was a long process battling against my parents but they did eventually give in and appreciate that I just didn't want to eat it and then I was veggie until my early 20s-ish. And I just had a a couple of years where I was like, I had a check-in with myself and I was like, 
why am I vegetarian? Do I understand why? What are the reasons? And I couldn't really give myself an answer at that point. So I ate meat indiscriminately for a few years. And then when I say indiscriminately, I mean, I wasn't one of these people who was like, I only eat chicken. I was like, I will eat literally every part of a of an animal because I believed that, you know, and I still do, that if you're going to kill an animal to eat it, you should eat everything, you know, and I'm, I'm not squeamish about it. So I would eat everything. And then it just got to a point again, where I was like, I just feel awful. I just felt terrible. I would, I would be really upset after eating and I couldn't figure out why. And I remember being like, what is wrong? And I just sat down with myself and was like, okay, like, I think I know what it is. And it was, it was eating meat again. And then I, I did a bit of research and I was like, I looked into being vegan and I was like, well, there's no point being vegetarian, is there? Like, I think once you know, you can't unknow. I don't know about about you. That happens. Yeah, that happened to me. I actually um, watched this documentary on Netflix called uh, Vegucated. It was not a very interesting one. I don't know. There are better ones out there, but it was good because it it took people through the process of trying to eat plant-based for six weeks um and then they were like shown around the supermarket and then they were shown uh you know the animal side of it like actually shown how animals are raised and tortured um and it was very you know vivid it wasn't like in any way like made softened in any way it was really um strong imagery and then they also talked about the environmental benefits of becoming plant-based or vegan and they were sort of just like their hands were held and they were trying out this experiment for a little bit um and that changed how I thought about everything um I am an animal lover I have two cats and I they're really important to me to the point where like my male cat Lorenzo scratches me in the face and I just have cat scratches all over me uh just to wake me up he does that he literally scratches my face and I'm just like well I could shut him out of the room but I don't really want to shut him out of the room because it makes me sad. So I'm just going to let him scratch my face every morning. <laughs> so that's me. That's like, I am an animal lover. And I just, I didn't like the dissonance, like the, it just does, it just didn't sit well with me um, saying that I'm an animal lover, but then I will happily eat other animals and just, you know, knowing that, um, just yeah like you said like once you know and once you've watched like one video or something it's hard to unsee it isn't it and for me the the hardest thing to to see for me was the mum cow and the baby cow situation so like how baby cows are taken from their mums after like 24 hours of them being born and then we need the mu- oh, well we don't need the milk but um the milk is then taken from the mum cow and then they're never seen you know they never see each other again so that as um I'm not a parent I don't have kids but just you know a maternal part of me just sort of hurts when I think about that um I just I just can't cope like I'm really sensitive and like as a as a person and like I I also have three cats and a dog and like I I just can't deal with it. Like just the thought of any of it, like there's so much I don't really want to get into because it makes me, this is the thing. It makes me upset just thinking about it. And I'm like, 
how on earth can anyone support that? Well, I don't think I don't think people support it. I think well, I know that they are supporting it by buying yeah products, but I think they just block it out. They block it out. Yeah. I just I just can't switch that off. I don't know whether my brain is built differently, but I can't switch that off. You know, when I go down the aisle in Sainsbury's or wherever, if I if I accidentally end up in a meat aisle, I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? Like what? Yeah, like I I just. I can't disconnect the, what I'm eating with what the thing is at all. And equally, I can't switch off what I know about the egg industry, for example. Like, I just can't do it. It's um, it's funny because um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. It's very funny. Um, my I went to the Lake District, I think, last year. And my mum, they were like feeding the ducks in the pond and then let's say like five hours later they order Chinese and me and my sister and her boyfriend and my husband who's also vegan we're all vegan and we were just like wait we'll get vegan Chinese we'll just tell them like check with them the menu and stuff and then my mum goes oh yeah I'll have the crispy duck and I'm like okay like just real disconnect right and then um I said to her I I don't order food with a face you know because with my with my parents I tend to get like the worst parts of me come out, usually with other people who are just ordering food. Like I wouldn't say stuff like that to them. I'm not going to be like an asshole. I'm just going to, you know, I, I realize it's their choice, but because it's my parents, I'm like, what's like, I get quite like judgy with them in my head. And I, I kind of am just like, how can you order like the same thing that you literally were feeding bread to? How can you order that? It's very odd. Um, the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance, isn't it? That they just don't see it. Um, and um, yeah, don't. If you ever come out for food with me, anyone who's not vegan, I'm not going to have a go at you. Just like it's just. I think just my parents make me like super like I don't know, make me act in a different way, triggered maybe or like. Yeah, I feel a bit the same. My dad is like a staunch meat eater, and like just kind of. I think he's low-key waiting for me to not be vegan anymore. And I'm like, that's, that's not going to happen. But kind of worse is that my mum, my mum was um, just ate everything. And then she was vegan for like a couple of years. And then she stopped being vegan because she couldn't be asked. And I was like, why? She's like, I just don't like beans. And I'm like, mum, you don't have to just eat beans. But yeah, that's, again, it's like knowing that trying to become plant-based is like a, a learning curve like I definitely I definitely made mistakes when I first started eating ve in a vegan way because I would like pick up something and it would have gelatin in but then I would never I wouldn't go oh that's it then I'm just gonna start I'm just gonna eat meat now I would just be like oh okay that was a little mistake let's see if we can just read the label better or you know every and vegans aren't perfect I think the other that's the other thing like I'm I'm not like even though I judge my mom <laughs> I'm not I'm not sat there judging people like I get that it's everyone's choice to make um even though the cost of that choice is very high in that something dies so that you can have a sandwich um I I I get that um like I I think my thing is I get that me judging someone and and giving that energy to someone is actually not going to help anything so I've just sort of worked on myself and I try and 
show that you can be strong and do pole and be plant-based in that way more like a little lighthouse than kind of like being negative and getting upset about what other people are doing yeah I think also like I don't know about you like I'm exactly the same I try and do my bit by like my studio for example everything is vegan like where I mean I was gonna say wherever possible it is vegan um so every drink that I bring in like if I have days where I do a workshop day and I have like cake or whatever I will make sure it's vegan um and just providing people with tasty things that are plant-based kind of helps with that but also I think being being vegan is hard because there are a percentage of vegans that are just judgy pricks and that's not who I am but I know that that's what the preconceived idea of vegans is to a lot of people and I kind of want to buck that trend and just be like look you do you but if you ask me anything about being vegan you've unlocked a door that you can't shut easily (laughs) if people want to talk to me about it I will talk to them for ages about it but I'm not going to be like oh you no, because I've got enough to do. You know, I people can li- live in blissful ignorance if they want. That's their choice, but it's not mine, ultimately. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Jojo's links to her studio, uh, Freebird Pole Fitness, and her Instagram are all going to be in the show notes. I would recommend just following her um, and then following her journey. I'm really interested to see what she does at her comps next year and also um glow by the time this comes out glow will be still open for submissions um so you can find out more information by heading to the links in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode or if there's anything in the episode that you want to talk to us about we are open ears you can contact us please rate the episode leave a comment if you're able to do so uh we really appreciate you know sharing the episode tagging us in it that kind of thing really helps other people kind of know about it as social media sort of hides stuff so uh we really appreciate you and we'll see you soon